You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. So my fantasy baseball dreams of moving Max Scherzer have been dashed today because he just got back surgery. So that the offer that was on the table to you has already been withdrawn because I just waved him off our fantasy team. That's kind of the fun of this time of year, too, is, is on one hand, we're looking at trades and we're looking at free agent signings and stuff like that. But then uh, you get back surgery for Max Scherzer. You get, um, you know, the Mets lost one of their, their top infielders to an ACL tear. Right? Yeah, you're seeing that like what the uh, the Pirates one of their young catchers that they really believed in, that they were ready to see a full season of, one of their big prospects, is down for the entire year. You know, and that's always so weird, too, right? You're figuring, like, it's off-season, and the, we didn't hear about an injury to this guy, so why would he all of a sudden have something going on in December? And if there was a problem, why didn't he get it done in October? Like, it, it, it is so weird, right? Like, this time of year, to find out that there are guys that are going to miss next year completely. And and it does also speak to the idea that as you are patient in free agency and as you are patient in the trade market, teams' rosters and needs are going to continue to change all the way up until spring training. They're not locked-in rosters that aren't all of a sudden going to have a need pop up or they aren't going to make a deal and then be like, oh, now we have to fill this other hole. We're going to go call on the White Sox. So I, I see a lot of panic right now. We'll talk about a little bit what's going on in the American League Central. I know some Sox fans are like, holy cow, look at what the Royals are doing. I'm angry because we're not doing the same thing. Uh, relax. We're going to get into that on this show. But I mean, like guys, guys dropping like flies in December. It's just so weird to me. Well, and the fact that one of those guys is in Aloy Jimenez is just amazing. <laughs> Trip, get out of the shower. Like, you just keep waiting for that to happen to poor Aloy. My, my, uh, <laughs> my still my all-time favorite was, and I can't remember who it was, but he was on the Baltimore Orioles. He decided he needed to iron his dress shirt while he was wearing it. No way that that was a real injury. That had to be yeah, covering that's... up something else that was more nefarious. That's what I believe, just hearing that. This episode of, of Socks in the Basement is brought to you, as in every episode, is brought to you by Cork and Carey at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton, the official home uh, of White Sox pregame, postgame, in-game, and also the official home of Socks in the Basement. They have a merry market also going on, not at that location, but in Beverly, that is happening on Wednesday of this coming week, December the 20th, 6 to 8 p.m. Bunch of crafters there, small businesses, things like that. And then, of course, you can you can have a couple of drinks and do a little bit of holiday shopping at Cork and Carry at 106th and Western. Check out all the specials, all the holiday events, and prep yourself for a season of White Sox baseball hanging out at the Cork at 33rd and Princeton. See more at CorkandCarry.com. Let, let's talk about... Some of the deals that happened this week, the Royals, super busy, like super duper busy. Although I'm not impressed, right? Like Seth Lugo to me, you're grabbing him after probably what will be his best year ever. Uh, you're, you're, you're going and paying for a relief pitcher. All right, fine. We know what that is like, right? You go grab, uh, you go, go grab Will Smith. You go grab Chris Stratton. The, the Royals are going for it. They're looking at a very weak division and they're looking at their payroll and they're saying, oh, we're going to go grab a couple of guys. They just got Hunter Renfro 
I mean, these are all names, right? But they're not names that make me super excited. Yeah, they're they're names because they've been around. I, they're just they're 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 old dudes, is what they are. Seth Lugo's thirty four, and they just signed him to a three year contract. Do you really think Seth Lugo is going to be anything when he's 37, 38 years old? I feel like the Royals have basically said anybody can make the playoffs. We just saw that. Let's go make the playoffs. Let let's go get some guys that are baseball players. And see if we can put together a team that's just a couple games over 500 and maybe win this division. And if we don't win the division, maybe we're like the last team into the playoffs. And why not just have a season because we can go. It's one of those things where you would say the White Sox could do this too, right? In 2024, the White Sox could do the exact same thing. The problem is you sign some of these guys to three-year deals and now you're stuck with them. And the Royals are going to have bad seasons at the back end of these three-year deals, because Seth Lugo is not going to be good at 37 years old. Well, here, here's the problem, okay? And the other thing, too, to keep in mind about, oh, oh, you signed Seth Lugo, so you signed a, a starting pitcher. Yeah, but you didn't, did you? Because Seth Lugo last year made 26 starts. His career high in starts prior to that was in 2017 when he made 18 starts out of his 19 appearances for the Mets when he had a 4.71 ERA and a 1.372 whip. They, they they signed a guy who's been a starter for one year in his age 33 season in one of the most pitcher-friendly parks in the world in San Diego. And if Chris Getz did that here, if Seth Lugo was coming in to be the third or fourth starter for the White Sox, Seth Lugo would not only be in the bullpen at $15 million a year yes. by April 4th, yes, but he would... I mean, honestly, the guy would probably be lit up. I, I look forward to Seth Lugo making starts... A guaranteed rate field because, well, who knows what the White Sox lineup is going to look like, but talk about having a puncher's chance against a guy. Holy smokes, is he going to get lit up in some of these places? He, he, does, not, he does not impress me, and the signings that they're doing, to me, it, it's it's like the way of baseball signings that the like Kenny Williams would do. Like, we're just going to start grabbing some names. We're just going to kind of throw them out there. Yeah, we're just going to be a middling baseball team. And that's not what I want for the White Sox. And so I'm okay with the Royals doing it. I also look at Detroit signing Jack Flaherty and I say, okay, that's fine, but it's a one year contract. And that's not what, that's not what I want. Chris gets to sign. And he was, he was rejecting contracts. I know that it came out in, in several marketplaces. I know in Pittsburgh, the pirates offered him a one year deal as well. Uh, and they tried to go long-term with him. He wanted the one year contract. And then he just picked the, the highest one-year contract he could get because he wants to come back, bounce back, and sign a multi-year deal in the next offseason with any team that will go and take him. That's what his plan is. And those kind of pitchers are not what I want on my team in 2024 because I don't see us as a contender in 24, and I want you to look long-term. So I don't like the one-year prove-it deal, and so I would be annoyed if the White Sox would have signed Jack Flaherty instead of Detroit this week. I would have been annoyed by the deal. I'd be on here right now going, well, you know, I really think he's going to have a pretty good year. But, I mean, what are we doing here? Because you're going to be right back in the same position in 2025. Because you know that you're not going to be the highest bidder for him if he's good. And if he's bad, what was the point? And so, like, like, like that's that's what my feeling is about that signing as well. Jack Flaherty makes sense for a team that believes they're a contender. If the White Sox started making those moves, I'd be like, oh, no, Chris Getz is delusional now. Like, he actually believes we're a contender, which we're not going to be in 24. Well, and also, it, it, and you need to, to, everybody needs to let go of the idea of, like, signing a guy to trade him and flip him at the deadline to get another prospect. Because Jack Flaherty's worth to somebody as a rental down the stretch is probably not 
huge. If he's having a really, really great season, you could maybe squeeze something worthwhile out of him. But in the meantime, what you've really done is you've said, I, I, I am not going to invest in a guy that could be here in 25 when we think we have a chance to be really good and really take the division and really get into the playoffs and make some noise. Instead, I've wasted what little money Jerry is going to release on a guy that that I, I'm I, it's planned obsolescence. I know I'm not going to have him. I'm not going to keep him long term. So I would rather see what Jack Flaherty does in Detroit and then have Chris Scott scrutinize whether or not at that point a guy who's still under 30 makes sense for them to give a long-term contract to if he becomes the final piece of the puzzle that helps him get to the next level. Yeah, right? like that's that would be great, right? Flaherty goes to Detroit, performs well, lots of money coming off the books. 2025, we've done the legwork in, in this offseason, during the season next year, and we go into the 2025 offseason and we go, all right, now look at Flaherty. And he's back to being Jack Flaherty. And he's out there, and we've got lots of payroll flexibility, and we can get him signed, right? Now, if he becomes one of those guys where he's going to want one of those ridiculous long, long, long contracts with lots and lots of dollars, unfortunately, we have the wrong owner for that. But he could end up falling into that sweet spot. Like, they're going to sign good starting pitching, I would imagine, between 24 and 25. I'd like them to do it now. But to do it now, you have to wait for all the guys signing one-year prove-it deals and refusing anything but those to get out of the way, you have to wait until the market almost dries up and the pitchers are now worried, where am I going to go pitch? And you're like, you can come pitch for me, but you got to sign a two, three-year deal because we don't want to have to re-sign all of our starters next year. And, and, and that's the thing. The Sox have to sit back and wait a little bit, unfortunately, with the pitchers because one-year prove-it deals don't make sense for this team. I just don't believe that they may. I think you're just spinning your wheels on one-year prove-it deals. You should make sure you're not spinning your wheels when it comes to selecting new exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors. Go to Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. No high-pressure sales. They want you to come to them, see the showroom, see all the etchings in the glass, the different kinds of doorknobs, the different kinds of windows that they provide instead of you sitting in your home and a guy comes in and he shows you like some dingy little example and you're supposed to imagine how it looks. No, forget that. Get all your questions answered right there. See everything in person and not in a catalog. There's an owner in showroom. You want to talk to the owner, man. That's who makes the decisions. That's who you want to work with. They have the owner on site in case something goes wrong. And it's not going to go wrong because they have their own installers. They don't farm out the work. They've been doing it this way for 40 years. All major brands, custom made, no stock items. You get a perfect fit. They're one half block east of 159th in Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. But yeah, the only reason for a one-year prove-it deal, if you're the Chicago White Sox, are so that ticket agents can reach out to you and say, please come back and buy your season tickets. Look at the guy we've got on the program now and, and hope that you don't realize that in a probably non-competitive year, that guy won't be here when you're competitive again the next year. And that's why a one-year prove-it deal doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, and, and really, has there anybody that's that's come off the books right now that you sit there and you go, oh, that would have been an amazing signing for the White Sox. I wish they would have done that. I can't believe that that Jerry wouldn't give this guy X amount of dollars. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pitchers that have come off, okay? Aaron Nola 
decided to stay home. Sox had no chance at him. That wasn't going to yeah. happen. Eduardo Rodriguez went out to Arizona. Well, that's a team that's ready to compete. And, you know, four years and $80 million is probably a little steep for a guy who, honestly, it's been a little up and down in his career. Sonny Gray's old. Seth Lugo is old and he's a reliever and got way too much money based on one year. Michael Waka has been so up and down in his career. Uh, you know, you've got just, you know, Kenta Maeda is an old guy. Tyler Molly's not going to pitch for most of 2024. And the Rangers, you know, gave him a couple of years to figure it out. And then we talked about like Flaherty doing the one year prove it. Deal. I liked Flaherty. Like, I'll be honest. I like the idea of getting Jack Flaherty, but I wanted him for multiple years. Like he was one of the guys on my list, but I wanted him for multiple years. And if he wasn't willing to sign multiple years, it's the same thing with Luis Severino. Yeah, you, you said the exact same thing with Severino. It's another guy that's under 30. He signed a one-year prove a deal with the Mets, and so that it it wasn't conducive to what I wanted my team to go and do is sign the one-year prove-it deals. So those those don't work yet, right? Those guys are available again, though, between 24 and 25. Okay, those are the guys that if they, if they bounce back, now maybe you're out in the free agent market next year, and you're going, okay, we need a pitcher, and we know that there's going to be several names that are out there. Would you sign Brandon Woodruff right now to a multi-year deal just to pay him to be injured this year? No. I, I, if I'm the White Sox, I'm not signing Woodruff to be injured this year because here's part of the thing, too, is Brandon Woodruff's a guy that has a history of being injured, okay? And the, the shoulder injury he's dealing with now is just the latest in a line of shoulder injuries. So you don't even know what you're going to get on the back end with him. Like, if it was Tommy John, I might consider it. Like, Molly... Yeah, you know, that makes some semblance of sense because if he comes back midway through this year, gets his you know gets his bearings again in twenty twenty five, he might actually be something. Okay, but for the most part, you know, when when you look at what's been signed this year, and, and again, I don't know, I don't know how much value there is in signing damaged goods unless you have reason to believe that they're going to come back and be what they were. And, and the Sox are frankly already doing that with Mike Soroka. Let's face it. So th- th- you've already got one of those on the team. But when you're worried about spending and worried about what people are doing, the, the guys that have gotten multi-year deals are just not names that really move the needle for the White Sox, with maybe the exception of Eduardo Rodriguez. But other than that, you know, even position players, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of multi-year deals handed out beyond Jung-Hoo Lee, who is a you know, a big name prospect from the KBO, right? Shohei Otani, obviously. Aaron Nola, obviously. But really, other than Eduardo Rodriguez, as I'm looking down the list, I don't know if the White Sox needed Jamer Candelario for anything. We've already seen Ronaldo Lopez in a Sox uniform. Uh, Seth Lugo, we just talked about. And and a lot of these guys are going to get, are just getting one year deal. So if you really were really concerned that, like, hey, it'd be cool to have. Will Smith on the team. Well, he's only signed for one year with the Royals. You'll have a chance at him next year. Same thing with Severino, same thing with Flaherty. And if you're really sad that they didn't sign Chris Stratton because he got two years from KC, I don't know what to tell you on that one. You know, you're just going to have to go and and make your own Stratton jersey and, and hope for the best for the future. What would you think about the idea that, like, as I'm watching the pitchers come off the board, I keep looking at Mike Clevenger's name and saying he doesn't want a one-year prove-it deal but nobody's knocking on his door right now. And he was effective for this team, although there are people who just hate him because of you know the accusations that were levied against him. Mm-hmm. But he was effective. Just, just looking at him as a baseball player, is he not the type of player that probably signs a multi-year deal that doesn't break the bank and falls within what Jerry wants to do that you could slot in the middle of your rotation and take a little pressure off of all these young players? Because I, I do subscribe now to the idea that the White Sox are not going to go out and spend money 
on a frontline ace starter. They have to discover the frontline ace starter within their own system. It's it's ridiculous, but it's the Jerry Reinsdorf way. So if you have to do that, okay, let's just say for argument's sake, you got five, six guys that are sitting in your system, right? We've got a lot of a lot of names, guys that were picked up at the midway point last year in those in those deadline deals. You got a lot of guys that are sitting down there that are prospects. What if one of them turns into the next Dylan Cease or the next Lucas Giolito type player that you know has a couple of years where they're sitting there up at the top of their rotation? You've got to fill in behind them. And you've got to do it in a responsible enough way that you work around the wallet of one Jerry Reinsdorf. So I look at a guy like Clevenger and I say, that's a guy that, you know, maybe you bring him back and you give him three years based on his age. Or Sean Manaya, you know, who I, you know, I've kind of cooled on him in recent years. But it, but it's still, here's a guy with a whip that never gets over 1.3. He's a guy who just keeps guys off base, right? Like his win-loss record isn't exciting. His, his, his ERA generally sits in the fours but he doesn't put guys on base. And if you're going to have a really defensive team, then here's a 31-year-old guy out there who's not really high on the list of like guys that have lots of wins above replacement and that guys are teams are chasing right now that you may be able to, may be able to sign to a multi-year reasonable deal to fill in your rotation while you're waiting for that young guy who's going to develop to be at the top of your rotation. Well, yeah, and, and part of what you're you're saying too is is also how the market has worked out, right? Because Aranola, probably probably the biggest ace name, potential ace pitcher on on the market this this off season. Uh, Blake Snell being the other one, but Snell's got a history of being kind of unreliable. Tyler Glasnow was just traded, but Tyler Glasnow's made out of spun sugar and held together by duct tape and wishes sometimes. So, in terms of like the go out there absolute do it ace you're either getting a guy who is on the back end of his career like Clayton Kershaw right now you don't really know what Clayton Kershaw really really is anymore you know what he was and you think that there might be some of that still left in him but that's what you're gambling on right so if you're a team that's close maybe you take a flyer and see if he's if he's that way but Max Scherzer is a perfect example Here's a guy who had been super durable, but now he's got a back injury in the offseason. Are you shocked, though? Are you shocked by the Scherzer thing? When they signed that big giant deal and gave him, what, $40 million a year for three years? I was like, man, that guy's old. Like, that, he's not going to last through that. That's stupid money. Yeah. So it, 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 you're either spending stupid money on, on the back of a baseball card for an old guy who may not have that anymore, okay? And if you want to do that for the White Sox, you're probably doing that in a one- or two-year deal because, and, and in that way, I, I would never fault a team for doing that, but giving a guy ten years and forty million dollars a year when he's thirty-eight years old never, you know, doesn't make any sense. So yeah, so a guy like Mike Clevenger probably makes a lot more sense. And then what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to find your ace and then try and do your best to hang on to him, or in a trade situation find a guy who's up and coming who becomes your ace, right? So think Zach Gallen down in in Arizona, who is a guy that's that's brought in from the Marlins with the potential to be an ace and then becomes the team's ace as they go and finally make a playoff run. By the way, I knew he was going to be an ace. Okay. In my, I know I don't match up with the the guys that sit there and they pour through every stat in the world, but my, you know, right. I, I picked him up when he was, when he was young, put him in my fantasy baseball dynasty league and kept looking at one stat. He keeps guys off base. His whip is so consistently low. And I was like a guy like that put on a good team is an asset I know I'm simplifying it. I know that there are people that are smarter than me, or at least claim to be smarter than me, that are running baseball teams, right? 
But I mean, like, that's why I'm saying that there's guys out there like a Manaya, who I just mentioned, and some other guys that are not at the top of list that the Sox could add in and start giving yourself some consistency. If you're going to go defense first, then you also want to keep guys off base, right? Wouldn't that be the most logical thing? If you're going to go defense first and you're going to say, we want to get strong defensively, what you're also saying then is the only thing the pitcher really has to do then if we're good defensively is not give up a lot of walks because defense can't have any impact on that. And we want him to give up as little as as little in hits as he possibly can. So his walks and hits per innings pitch, his whip, should be low. Because a guy with a low whip coming from any organization is going to be effective for us and probably have a better season if he comes to this better defense that we're building. Zemar sitting down here. He's on the broadcast basement on demand radio network. What's up, buddy? How's it going? Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, uh, you, you're a busy guy right now. You got a lot going on. You, it's super busy. You're in your busy season, and, and you know it, it's off season for the White Sox, and it's uh, it's on season for Butch. And uh, the main thing you do is help businesses, small and big with their health insurance, right? For sure. And the fourth quarter is usually when the renewals are coming in. They're trying to plan for the new year. And a lot of businesses feel stuck, right? Uh, just stuck with the renewal. They kind of blindly get spreadsheets, uh, comparisons, and they feel like they don't know where to go. And it's the usually the top three uh, expenses on a expense sheet for a business. How does somebody get your help? 708-535-3006. And then we go through uh, an evaluation we call the Elite Benefits Playbook. All right. And it can get started like like right now? Right now. It's perfect, ideal. The the employees are still going to have health insurance like when this is all said and done? Absolutely. All right. Butch is my guy. If you're either the owner or you're somebody that makes those financial decisions, it's a big cost for anybody that's trying to get it for employees. And uh, you don't want to ignore that, right? Uh, 100%. the phone line right now that music indicates that once again another week with the Sox nerd Dave Marin uh, the guy who puts up all those interesting tidbits up on the scoreboard every time a new player gets added to this team he must dive right into everything about that player so he is ready for the season and you get a preview of it you get stuff that he doesn't always put up on the scoreboard right here on Sacks in the basement and it's all brought to you by the village of Lamont want to experience downtown with real history great eats and drinks and green spaces Filled with adventure, visit the village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore. Uh, Enjoy how beautiful it is right now in downtown Lamont with the tiny little shops that are there. And everything is lit up uh, with Pollyanna Brewing right down the street and the distilleries there. There's so much to do there. Uh, See it all at LamontDowntown.com. How are you, nerd? Fantastic, Chris. And you are correct. We will be taking a look at two of the more recent White Sox pickups. Of course, we're going to be doing it. Sox nerd style. Similar to late November pickups, Naperville Nikki Lopez and Antioch's Paul DeYoung, Max Stassi and Jake Cousins have strong local ties. Stassi, a catcher, was obtained from the Atlanta Braves on December 9th for a player to be named later. His baseball reference bio page lists Merrill Hogue as his great uncle. Hogue was an outfielder who played for the Sox in 1941 and 1942 and in 1944. He spent 1943 in the Army Air Corps 
but was discharged because of headaches and dizziness from a 1936 injury. Hope's best day with the Sox came on September 24, 1942, when he went 5-for-7 with two doubles, a home run, and two RBIs as the Sox swept the doubleheader at Cleveland. Hogue hit a key homer in the 3-1 win in Game 1 and added three hits in the 4-2 win in the nightcap. You know, it's kind of surprising Stassi didn't wind up in L.A. with the Dodgers. No player has caught more Otani innings than Max Stassi. Stassi has been behind the plate for 202 and one-third Otani innings, with Chad Wallach a distant second at 92 and a third. Stassi and Otani were a formidable duo, compiling a 2.45 ERA and an opponent's slash line of 203, 259, and 331 together. Moving on to Jake Cousins. The right-handed reliever was signed by the Sox to a minor league contract on December 5th with a pretty credible big league resume. As far as local ties go, Cousins was born in Park Ridge, prepped at Wheaton Academy, and his residence was listed as Elgin in the 2023 Brewers Media Guide. In addition, Cousins had a brief stint with the independent Schomburg Boomers in 2019 after he was cut loose by Washington. Like DeYoung, this is a smart guy. Cousins graduated from Penn with a degree in philosophy, economics, and politics. Oh, and one more. This Cousins is the cousin of Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins. Who knows? You may see some of these gems on the big board at Guaranteed Rate Field in 2024. Before I get to my zinger, I remind you that these gems and long-form pieces, including one on Nikki Lopez, which kind of explores my thought process on, on creating and posting scoreboard graphics, is on my blog, which you can link to at SocksInTheBasement.com. My zinger? I'm hooked on Baseball References' Immaculate Grid. The Daily Trivia game recently asked for a player who had appeared at both catcher and shortstop. After thinking of one, I really wanted to know all of the Sox players who had done this. There are four. Steve Lyons, the one I thought of, Mo Berg, the catcher who was a spy, Frank Isbell, the bald eagle, and Sandal Murtas, who was a member of the Sox first team in 1901. That's it, Chris. Probably more than you wanted to know about Merrill Hogue, Otani's backstop, and Wheaton Academy. I have a uh, Christmas assignment for you, my friend, if you don't oh. mind. Yeah, we, we got a we got an instant message, a direct message, a DM, as the kids call it, uh, from Mario, who said that he was watching a Christmas story and there was a White Sox trade and some players mentioned in the movie A Christmas Story. And I figured uh, next week is going to be right there on Christmas weekend when you're on. So uh, if you can if you can look up and see if that's real. And if you know anything about those players, and does it tell us when a Christmas story actually took place? That's my assignment for you. I got it covered. Meanwhile, Ed's been over here at the bar looking up my theory about going out and getting pitchers that keep guys off base when you have a good defensive team, and has it paid off in the past? Well, think about think about 2005 and, and Jose Contreras emerging out of you know, the, the hell of, of, of leaving Cuba and everything that he went to to come from America and, and finally feeling like he can relax and pitch is one thing. But the, the ace of the staff, the one that everybody points to, the one that we all are hoping gets into the Hall of Fame because of who he was and what he was, is Mark Burley, right? What did Mark Burley do? Did, he never he didn't strike out anybody hardly, right? What did he do? He pitched the contact. Why was he so effective in 2005? Because Joe Creedy was an amazing third baseman. Because Juan Uribe was really an underrated but amazing shortstop, Right. Uh, Tadahito Aguchi played a really great second base that year. Paul Canerico, underrated defensively at first. The outfield could catch everything between Dye and Rowand, and, and Pesednik was at least fast enough to get to the ball. Whether or not he caught it was sometimes a little bit of a question. 
But the White Sox in 2005 were a great defensive team. I, I, I watched an interview with, with Josh Barfield who said, you know, one of the things that they tried to do in Arizona was become really solid defensively because at least you can hang around in games, right? If you don't kick the ball around and you don't give away runs and you can catch it and if you can prevent runs from, from crossing the plate by having good or exceptional defense, you can do a lot. So, yeah, you don't necessarily need to go and get the super dominating guy. Quite frankly, I think one of the reasons why why Dylan Cease might be considered a tradable asset is if Chris Getz is looking at this going, all right, I want to build a staff that is going to pitch to its defense and have a really good defense behind me, a guy who is all or nothing strikeout, who only goes five or six innings tops uh, because he maxes out trying to punch everybody out, doesn't really fit in my doesn't fit in my scheme. No, I would much rather have a guy like Mike Clevenger who doesn't necessarily strike everybody out, but is going to be effective. Or Sean Manaya, who, like you said, tends to keep guys off a of base, and if he plays in front of a good defense, is going to have a much better time of it than if he plays in front of a, a porous one. So I don't fault Chris Getz for that. But I also look at this market, and and I'm just not really willing to sit there and say that I want to spend money to see Clayton Kershaw in a White Sox uniform because that feels to me a lot like Kenny Williams bringing in Ken Griffey Jr. or bringing in the Alomar brothers right. or bringing in Andrew Jones or bringing in insert name Manny of potential Ramirez. future Hall of right. Manny Ramirez. Oh my God, I always <laughs> forget Manny right? was on the White Sox because he wasn't even here. Yeah, and you're right, and you're right, and and that's the thing. The Going back to the original point, and I want to make sure that it's understood, there's only two pitchers that the Sox realistically had a chance of going and getting based upon what we've heard from the owner, based upon where they're at currently in terms of going in the 24, building towards 25. And there are only two pitchers that are off the board right now in free agency that I would have liked to have seen, and that's Severino or Flaherty signing a deal. But neither one of them did I want on a prove-it deal. Because that was the problem with the Clevenger deal last year. Last year's Mike Clevenger deal was a one-year, $12 million prove-it deal. And that's exactly what it was. It was structured like it wasn't. But that's what it was. Because it was $8 million with a $4 million buyout on a mutual option. Which means if the pitcher proves it, he's going to take his $4 million, turn that into a $12 million one-year deal, and go into free agency, which is what Clevenger did. And if the pitcher sucks... Why would you why would you pick him up for the for the next year, which would have cost them eight million dollars? You're gonna pay him out for four million dollars, you're gonna get rid of him, and it's still a twelve million dollar one year deal. So I mean, like it, 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 sometimes people get confused by that. That's what the Clevenger deal was last year. It wasn't a long-term deal. And I don't like those deals unless you are a team sitting on the cusp of a playoff run and you need another arm. Then it benefits you. Right, I don't like the flipping thing because you never know what you're going to get later on. I, I hate that when teams do that. Well, we sign this guy and we're going to flip him at the deadline if he's good. Why? You know, why aren't you building? Why aren't you building your team to win now and win later? Sometimes these GMs get way too cute, and so I completely understand right now the guys that are off the board and the fact that the Sox don't have them because it's not the player or the contract that fits this team. That's coming. I really and truly believe that's coming. Pitching's coming. We just have to wait and see which player it is that's willing to sign a three-year deal that works within what they want to do and fits into this rotation. You're not getting a top-of-the-rotation ace. The hope is that ace comes from this list of minor leaguers. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. 
Socks in the Basement. Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.